Welcome to Geeks and Grounds, a monthly game club where we play games and brew a good conversation together. My name is Jenny Windham. And I'm Joel Thomas. And we are finishing up One Shot's Solstice DLC today. I'm so pumped. Uh, this the is One been Shot a- Two Shot. The One Shot Two Shot, yep. <laughs> because, go figure, the game titled One Shot actually... If you would like to take it, there there is another opportunity. Um, but before we do that, uh, first, thank you for tuning in and listening. Thank you for everyone who's left reviews on iTunes and uh, Spotify, rated us on Spotify. Uh, we really appreciate it and encourage you to continue to do so if you are able to and would like to. Um, and yeah, I guess, how are you doing today, Joel? Uh, you know... I'm running on very little sleep, and I think I'm up to my sixth cup of coffee. So we are very deep into the ground side of Geeks and Grounds today. (laughs) I feel like I should see your camera just shaking, even like (laughs) just straight buzzing, baby. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I wish I realized I'm like I did not have coffee today, and I kind of wish I did because I also feel very like run into the grounds part of the geeks and grounds but uh (laughs) it's i'm ready for the weekend is just all i have to say (laughs) got it so like i'm in the grounds like coffee grounds you're in the ground like run into the ground and we're we're both geeks and so we're gonna bring the energy for you all today (laughs) exactly we really dedicated ourselves to the name this time around um but yeah this is this is the last podcast of the new of of this game our first game of the new year what a convoluted like celebratory title but mm. uh i was just thinking it's just what a awesome way to start the new year we were just talking right before the podcast started recording um this has been a really good game for discussion and what a just a great way to kick off 2024 we got some heat for today y'all we got a lot to talk about this game the ending is absolutely wild and i cannot wait to dig into it with you Mm -hmm. before we dig into it though as always we need to stop by the pastry case just to see what's going on in the world of games uh just in general and this week uh and i guess technically last weekend but this week a game has really hit the industry um by storm and while i know the discourse has been live and well and perhaps folks are a little tired of hearing about it by now since this podcast is recorded in the second half of the week uh i thought it would be remiss if we didn't at least casually touch upon the topic of pal world a <laughs> very new game um that came out so i guess joel have you have you heard of pal world you know it's one of those things where like I saw previews for it, was it like maybe two years ago? And I got like really excited by the audacity of the premise. And I was mm-hmm. like, this could be really fun and forgot the title. Didn't even know how to look it up uh, and just couldn't, didn't know what, what to expect. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I saw some videos over the last week and I was like, wow, this looks like a lot of fun. And then you clued me into some of the interesting controversy around this. I'm like, well, probably going to be skipping this one. So yeah, get into it. Like what's, what's going on with this game? All right. So for some folks who may not be super into following sort of what's going on in discourse with the capital D, I would suppose, uh, 
Pal World is a game that released on January 18th by the developer Pocket Pair. Um, it's also self-published by Pocket Pair. And uh, the Steam description just says, fight, farm, build, and work alongside mysterious creatures called pals in this completely new multiplayer open world survival and crafting game. Now, the trailer for this game, I think the first time, maybe it was a reveal, I'm not entirely sure, but the first time I saw the game was at, I think it was the Game Awards or Summer Game Mm -hmm. Fest a couple years ago. And the trailer came out, and initially I was like, oh, this looks like it could be very, very cute. Uh, and then, really, it just showed um, essentially what looked like to be Pokemon, but like monster creatures mm-hmm. with guns. And for me, that instantly becomes like, I'm just not a person who enjoys that kind of gameplay. That's just not what I go to games for. So this is like, oh, this is probably not for me. And I also really specifically remember in that trailer, there's a scene of like Pokemon, not Pokemon, like pals in a manufacturing factory line, sadly, like assembling, I think it was guns or weapons. And I remember at that time seeing the trailer think and thinking just like, what, what is this? Like, are you supposed to be sort of the team rocket of this world? Is it supposed to be a play on like, sort of the critiques that people have of Pokemon? Like, what is what is the story going to be? Or is it just going to be like, kind of a meme game and then i really just forgot about it until it launched uh just a few days ago how to begin um there are (laughs) layers and layers upon just conversation that we could have about this game and i said in another podcast that i'm in we could do an entire podcast series delving into each of these layers and we're not going to do that here because that's not necessarily the point um but there's talk of AI potential a or alleged potential I don't know what the legal term is but possible AI use in either the concepting or the development of the game um there's talk of people you know there's talk of what does it mean to plagiarize what does copyright mean what does it look like in this day and age where there is the potential to use AI um I think less of a conversation, but something I'm really interested in is sort of what are the mechanics and like sort of the like the content of the game, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, is it a substantial game? Is this a meme game? Is this what is this game encouraging players to do? Uh, and so there's just a lot to dive into with this. Um, I'm curious, I guess, did you did you delve into any of it after I kind of was like, hey, have you heard about Power World and what's going on? I have not gone into it in detail. I did see something uh, on actually on TikTok that was like not even related to those things. Maybe it's kind of connected to the AI thing, but it was like mm-hmm. um, some like text to speech renderer that they had used instead of paying mm. a voice actor or something like that. Oh, and interesting. I, I, I think it was Power World that this was for, but like I i don't understand this movement this motion that we're seeing in the industry right now that's like we're gonna take all of the like creative artistic interesting parts of video games and we're gonna try and like smash them down to their like smallest component pieces and that's what we're going to sell because we think it's going to be cheaper or whatever because like obviously the financial driver here But what's wild to me with this one, just like kind of based on like your descriptions and like some of the things that we're seeing is like, it's not even just that. Like the premise itself is built on 
faulty ground and like guns plus pokemon is not a new concept that's what digimon is like (laughs) guns plus pokemon is already a thing i know this is gonna be like a wild like almost metalocalypse level like audacious type of experience but it's like assembly line gun manufacturing like that's not fun that's or maybe it was it was like some sort of man i guess in my head i was assuming it was guns but maybe they're manufacturing something else i'm not sure i don't know that it super matters yeah Yeah, i was like it's still a factory line situation which mm -hmm. is i think for me um and, and since i guess this has all gone down um the Game Freak, the Pokemon company, did issue a statement actually this morning, and they did say uh, that they will be investigating further and pursuing action if they were to find something. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think legally what's going to come out is going to come out. I, I'm i more concerned in terms of like how this may impact like the legal repercussions moving forward. Like how will this impact the industry? How will this impact the manufacturing of games? Like what precedents will be set? Mm. Because we don't have a precedence for what happens if someone develops a game using this, this technology. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting and I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not even going to pretend to understand the nuances of like copyright and fair use in this situation because I already know it's really complex like things like parody and satire I've seen a lot of people talking about like oh but um Pal World's parody so it's fine and I'm like I don't know if I would call it parody mm, because so. it's not it yeah what is the commentary that it is adding yeah. you know it's like I I'm again I'm no lawyer but I don't think it quite fits that definition but I do think it's going to be a really interesting case to follow depending on what ends up happening legally you know this could be a straw for the camel's back in some ways and with ai gen stuff just in general like i remember when some of these like image generators came out and people were really excited and then it was like oh but you know this has been trained on like artist work one of the interesting threads of commentary was like organizations like disney might be the ones to actually help us in this situation because they don't want Mm. their ip being used to train these models and generate these images and so it was like well what would spark them to do something and it, it like this nintendo story is exactly the kind of thing where it's like they'd bring a lawsuit that says like this is infringement on our ip and like here's like the similarities whatever then it falls to the other company to show that it wasn't right Mm -hmm. and to do that and say well we actually did use ai for this stuff then the question is like well what's your ai being trained on like what's it modeled after it's like well maybe it's a generative like a a baseline ai i have no idea i have no idea this is all like just speculation at this point but like if that is the case that they did use ai and they go to court and like well we used ai then the question is, well, is your AI pulling from Pokemon as a source for what it's being trained on? Mm-hmm. And 90 plus percent uh, AI modeling solutions at this point are black box. You I was cannot say, document where it's coming from. Yeah, so, and I think perhaps even, even if they wanted to, you couldn't, depending on, again, 
I'm also not an AI expert, but like I imagine with the amount of information that they need to put in to make AI really functional and usable in that way, it's like the mass amount of data is mm -hmm. far more than a person or an even software could probably parse through in a reasonable amount of time. So yeah, I think the the implications for this just legally moving forward are really interesting. Um, I think just as a game, it does not hold interest to me personally. I think there's a lot going for it, though. I mean, to be very honest and clear, it is doing outstanding. It sold 7 million copies uh, in like the first five-ish days or so, which is... Mm -hmm outrageously huge like mind-boggling numbers uh it beat just chatting on the twitch like browse uh you could just chatting for uh for folks who don't know is basically the number one twitch category uh just usually all the time it's like up there with i don't know counter-strike and like league these are games that are almost never toppled from like the top three to five places on twitch pal world was number one for a little bit so it goes to show you this is a game that is resonating with people, that is holding the interest, at least for now, um, because it's mm. a survival game. The mechanics do seem engaging enough that there's like a hook that will keep you exploring and wanting more. Um, Pokemon is a huge franchise, and I think the tagline even of Pokemon with guns is enough to at least get people to want to explore and see what it looks like um i also i yeah. mean i've been watching streams just to see how it plays um so it's like i'm not going to knock the like concept necessarily or like the success i guess i'm not going to knock the success that they found um i just am curious to see about the longevity now that they have found this massive audience um you yeah. know, I will just uh, throw this out there as like a point of inspiration. Uh, we have a lot of digital artists in our community. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did see that Nightshade is now available for consumer use. Uh, Nightshade is a is like a layering that you can add to your digital art so that it kind of poisons AI systems that try to use it mm -hmm. as a part of their model mm -hmm. base. So uh, if you're a digital artist, check out, I think it's called Nightshade. Um, it will be an interesting area of exploration, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last interesting thing or the thing that got me thinking, you you touched on this and I want to highlight it because I think it's a really astute observation, is this movement in games towards, um, or it's not an entire movement. I would say it's, there is this growing trend of, genre mashups that mm -hmm. I really appreciate. Um, so seeing this pal world being like Pokemon meets breath of the wild meets art or arc survival meets, mm -hmm. you know, Fortnite building. I don't know. It's just like, you see all of these things that are super hooky that you do. You're like, as a player, wouldn't it be kind of cool to have all this together? Um, and there's a part of me that's like very excited by, hey, we're in a time period in which these genre blends are being encouraged. Like I think of Cult of the Lamb, for example, uh, where yeah. like that's a great example of this like rock solid genre blend. Um, I think of Dave the Diver. Um, I had like I had my own little issues with Dave the Diver, but that game, my goodness, that game played so well. Um, and so I'm I'm not necessarily 
apprehensive about the mashups themselves and exploration of that. Like, I also think ultimately, if you're going to take the best parts of every single game, you're still going to have to make an ent- like a game with a singular vision that still is good. You can't just mishmash a Franken game yourself to success. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what I'm really interested and concerned about is this hyper capitalistic like marketing of nostalgia in particular i think what really makes me feel a little bit icky about pal world is it knows the nostalgia pokemon has and it is utilizing that in a very hyper like obviously hyper capitalistic way and that's Mm -hmm. what makes me feel scummy it's the same with disney dreamlight valley and i know we have a lot of people who love disney dreamlight valley in like this community and everywhere and like again i don't knock that um but for me it's a really interesting progression that we're seeing where these companies are like we're going to take something and like market like hone it to the max in terms of what we think is going to get the endorphins just going uh mm. with nostalgia with the loop and it feels different than when like i don't know when it just a general studio does it and i know it's one of those i if i see it i feel it you know it's like I know that's not good, but there's something there that I'm just like, we're moving towards this hyper, hyper marketing focused, hyper capitalistic, hyper data driven design mm. that I'm like, not excited to see. Let's, let's not let, let's not let our AAA friends off the hook either. Like, um, thinking about, let's use Pokemon itself as an example the last several game releases that they have had have been kind of abysmal in terms mm-hmm. of gameplay quality with like having Absolutely. to have major patches immediately following. And it's the same thing. It's like, they know like these games are so nostalgic and have such a strong consumer base. It's like, it's okay. If our game is not like totally up to snuff at launch, it's okay. People are going to buy it anyway. Mm-hmm. And like, to your point about like that kind of hyper capitalistic influence, I think that's a, that's a really powerful it's a powerful motivator for some of these companies and it's a really yeah. good call out Jenny. Yeah. Yeah, and it's tough because again, I I'm like you where I'm like I was I'm so excited for every Pokemon launch and the last few I have been so disappointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it is smart of Pal World to play with that. It is smart. I'm you know, if you want to make money, that's a way to do it. And I understand we, we live in a society and you do got to make money. I mean, again, 7 yeah. million copies. I'd love to make that kind of money if I ever developed. Mm-hmm. Like if Spirit Swap sold and made seven, I would I would just immediately retire. Uh, it would be great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think there's this intentionality that it seems like there's this disconnect. And I don't know who Pal World is for, where at least when I play Pokemon, I feel like I kind of know who they make Pokemon for generally. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. And so I think that's where for me, and yeah, we could talk about this a long time, um, but I just think this is a really interesting case to look at. And I'm very excited to just see what happens with it and observe just what, what comes of it. <laughs> right, and we'll be here. We'll be here to we'll, tell you what's next. We'll be here. Uh <laughs> What's next, though, (laughs) speaking of what's next, is Steam Next Fest. Uh, This is just a small little like, hey, something cool is happening. February 5th through the 12th 
Yes. Uh, Steam Next Fest is a go. I've been getting inbox just requests because all these demos are getting ready to come out. So uh, what I would love to do, because we did this, we've done this for, I think, every Next Fest, nearly every Next Fest, uh, is as a community, we'll create a submission form. If you would like to share some of your favorite demos, feel free, put that in the form, put it in the Discord. Um, and we'll we'll share out your favorite demos and what you thought of them. And we'll absolutely be playing demos through the week and sharing our own faves. So I wanted to highlight that, let you get prepped, get ready. If, and if you're like me, I just go through and download like 50 demos <laughs> and I just try to get through as many as possible. So um, yeah, very excited for that. Well, I have jury duty that week, so now I have something to do while I'm waiting yes. for my number to be called. Oh my gosh, best <laughs> week for jury duty. Heck yes. Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to shout out just one quick bit of news uh, from Xbox, just highlighting indie games. We're all about that here. Uh, ID at Xbox, they just announced a curative program, like curation program, I guess, for uh, called Indie Selects for the Xbox, where weekly their team is actually going to try to curate indie games and really point people to hidden gems games that they may not discover uh that are on their platform um i thought that was really cool i'm always up for curation uh, especially of indies and mm. really excited to see xbox continuing to at least try to find ways to bolster indies on their platform i think um all of the sort of the big three nintendo playstation xbox they they all do different things they all try to promote indies i do think xbox in terms of just like consistency and sort of across multiple levels they do perhaps some of the strongest work mm -hmm. in promoting indies um so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to seeing how this turns out well uh one thing to consider is that it sounds like they're kind of trying to move into our turf and maybe we need to send a cease and desist letter to Microsoft. <laughs> or we can just be like, hey, if you want us to come and um, <laughs> we could do a Indie Selects Geeks and Browns edition. Yeah, if anyone at Xbox would like to give us a call, that'd be wonderful. I'd love to do that. <laughs> this episode is called Geeks and Grounds Sells Out. <laughs> <laughs> when I said 7 million copies, I'm here for the money. <laughs> Here we go. Um, no. <laughs> no, that was very I, good. Yeah, I think I think honestly that was my first thought. I actually saw this the tweet that announced this and instantly sent it to like my work chat and with wholesome games the work we do and I was like, how can we do this? I want I like I think it's really exciting and yeah, I think totally. the one thing is just as someone who like with many people do things on a weekly basis, right? Like even writing the newsletters for geeks and grounds on a weekly basis. Um, it's one of those things where I'm like, that's a lot of work. <laughs> Curation is a lot of work. So I'm very curious mm -hmm. to see um, how they keep it up. I hope they keep it up. And if they end up bringing in outside sources to help supplement, which I think would be wise of them. I am biased because I'm hoping we could be one of them. Are someday. we an outside source? I Ooh. would hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's get pretty it, cool. Get in the comments. Tag Microsoft. Yeah, let them know what's Xbox. up. Xbox. Say please. I only want indie selects from Geeks and Grounds. <laughs> then we can get that Xbox money. <laughs> we are the selection algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. man, very funny. Uh, so yeah, that's that's it for the indie news. Um, 
What have you been up to though? What are some fun things that you've been just reading, watching, listening to? I'm going to be real quick today because there is so much <laughs> to talk about with one shot, two shot, red shot, blue shot. Mm -hmm. Um, if y'all are not on the Percy Jackson and the Olympians train right now on the, the new series that's come out, I am loving it. It is just scratching that like middle grades book itch, that YA itch. Mm -hmm. uh, I, the kid that's playing Percy is a fantastic actor and I'm really, really vibing with it. So would recommend Um I gotta say, I, you all know I'm still playing Baldur's Gate 3. I still haven't finished my first run. Where I am right now is I'm like kind of wrapping up all of the main characters' quests before I finish the big uh, main quest thing. And the twists in this final act of the story, I literally was like standing up screaming at my at my game uh, a couple of nights ago with some of these twists. So like if you're really into this game, you're like, yeah, it's kind of like linear and pretty straightforward. No, it ain't like there is some uh, there is some really interesting uh, story tw twists and turns, especially in act three that mm -hmm. I think are really like keeping me engaged. Wow. Um, and uh, I actually started a new book called An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green. It's from like 2018. Okay. Um, and it is kind of exploring um, online culture in a way. It's like a, mm -hmm. a young woman who uh, is working kind of as a designer, uh, fresh out of art school for a startup. And uh, she finds this statue, this weird statue in New York. And uh, she and her friend post a YouTube video about it. And it goes super mega viral. And it's kind of about her dealing huh. with the implications of what it means to like have this kind of corner of celebrity uh, and the implications on her life and lifestyle. And it has been a really enjoyable, pretty fast read. So, um, so far, really enjoying it. Awesome. Is it like, is it relatively like, is, would it, is it a weekend read? Like, could you get through it relatively quickly, do you think? Or is it? You could hefty? get through it relatively quickly, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny's an incredibly rapid reader. You would chat, you'd be able to tackle this thing in a day. Um, <laughs> for a person like me who reads for maybe like 15 to 20, maybe 30 minutes a night, it's going to take me probably like three, four weeks to get through. Okay. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I, um, I have been very slowly getting through a book that his brother wrote, um, John Green. Uh, I don't know if you've read this one. It's called The Anthropocene Reviewed. I've Ugh. been working my way through it audiobook style because I'll listen to it on my on my walks. So that's why it's taking um, a decent amount of time. But I like it because it's forcing me to sort of settle with it versus sort of reading quickly through it as I would maybe a, a, a non or a fiction story. I think I, I pr mm. appreciate nonfiction and audio form personally. You are the third person to tell me after I've told them I'm reading a <gasps> Hank Green book to tell me they are reading Anthropocene <laughs> reviewed by John wow. Green in the last week. Uh, Dang. Oh my gosh. So you're riding the zeitgeist wave. Uh, there's a, for those it, of you yeah. who are not familiar with that book, like in addition to the book and audio book, there is a podcast that is uh, centered on the book that John Green mm -hmm. uh, hosts and does. And if you are looking for a book, I haven't read it, but I've watched a lot of like the video clips and things from it uh, yeah. online. If you're looking for a book that is going to make you feel like just a degree better about humanity and the human condition, and this is a pretty hopeless times right now, I got to say. Yeah. This seems like 
the book for you in this moment. So are you like, is it giving you some of that like uplifting feeling as you're going through it? It it does. And what's really, what I appreciate the most is that while at sometimes it can it can step into a little bit of the cheese where you're just yeah. like, okay, yeah, I know you're trying to be like super contemplative and like uplifting here. I think as a whole, that cheese works really well. And mm-hmm. I do, and that's that's why I've been listening to, to it on my walks because I do find that it is leaving me feeling better about myself and the world rather than reading a book or scrolling on TikTok and Twitter and feeling worse. Um, and I think there there have been moments, actually, even one walking, which is always kind of funny mm. because then if I like pass a runner or something, I, can, I feel like they might be like, what's going on with you? Um, but there have been some moments where I will get choked up because mm. I believe he's the one who's reading um, for the audiobook, And so I think hearing him sort of say these stories out loud, I always really love it when the authors read their own writing. I think it adds just a bit more mm-hmm. emotional oomph because <laughs> mm-hmm. you can really hear where they want those emphasis to be uh, of the syllables, you know, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And so I, I've gotten choked up on a couple of the, the mm-hmm. essays. Uh, and so it's been really nice to listen to. Yeah, I haven't finished so it. Cool. So I'm excited to like, look back and see sort of where my favorites are. Um, Also, for folks who are curious what it's about, basically it's a collection of essays where he rates just like a lot of random things (laughs) related to the human experience. Like, um, I think, gosh, now that I'm thinking about, I'm like trying to remember some of the things he's reviewed, Um, like balloons, you know, or like... um, (laughs) I think there was this one, oh, musicals was another, and he like rates them on a five-star scale. And so what's really fun is what I'll do for myself is I'll give it a rating, like what I would rate the thing personally, mm. thinking about like how I would relate to that concept or that object. And then I try to guess what his rating is for it, which is always really fun. I love it. I've gotten to be in the same room with John Green. We watched The Fault in Our Stars together uh, back in Indianapolis. Wow. Just me, John, and a theater full of <laughs> library workers. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've led, I've led a pretty celebrity uh, life. Pretty celebrity where, life. Oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> what have you been getting into, Jenny? Um. I'll just I'll just go over I since I've I've also been reading God Killer but that actually has been going quite slowly because I just never mm. have time to actually like sit and read it. Um, so far, it's a thumbs up from me. I it's intense and it, I I'm liking it. I just I haven't gotten far enough to really like decide if I like where the plot's truly going. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still playing Undertale Yellow. I am still really enjoying it primarily because I'm just enjoying being back in the world and sort of revisiting these uh, reimagined versions and alternate locations based on the the places we're familiar with. Um, Yeah, that's cool. It's really nice. And it's interesting because technically it's non-canonical, you know, because it's it's a pan game, but uh, it's, it's nice to start thinking about like what would a prequel, you know, to this game look like to undertale look like. And if, if you know the story of undertale, um, before your character visits this monster world, uh, I believe it's like six other humans visited. And so it got me thinking, I'm like, what would the stories of the other five humans be? Since now we have oh. like our Undertale, we have a prequel for Yellow, 
you know, what would the other sort of colors be like, you know, as characters? And so it's just been a fun sort of fan fiction almost sort of exercise for myself. Um, again, it's free. It's on Game Jolt if you're interested. Highly recommend. Uh, Jenny, have you? Are you kind of a fan fiction person? Are you? Are you into that scene at all? I used to be. Um, mm-hmm. Not so much anymore. But honestly, playing Undertale Yellow has gotten me feeling like, oh, maybe I should sort of jump back in. Oh, cool. Um, I think if I had more time, I would be. It's just time at this point <laughs> kind of going back I'm to right our conversation last week on like being a grown-up you know and trying to fit <laughs> gaming and and fandom lifestyle like into into my life yeah i mean i guess i'm up to six cup of co- cups of coffee just to make it through a day right now so <laughs> yes <laughs> and um the last shout i can't remember if i talked about it last week or not marry my husband did i talk do you recall no, okay. i don't think so i don't no. think i did um so, first of all, if you enjoy webtoons, uh, Marry My Husband is a webtoon. It's a Korean webtoon. It is, oh, the drama. It's like a rom- romantic drama, not quite dramedy, more romantic drama, um, where this <laughs> melodrama, uh, this person, mm-hmm. she is... Um, she has been diagnosed with a stomach cancer. She's in the hospital and she goes home to find that her husband and best friend are cheating uh, with each, you know, against her with each other. And as he like pushes her away, cause she says she's going to tell everyone what's going on. Um, she like, she, she dies. She like hits her head and she dies. But then, and this is all like within the first first episode like the first half of the first episode right um but then instead of dying dying she wakes up 10 years in the past with the chance to redo her adult life uh and so the story goes into like what would you do if you had not one shot but a second shot oh there we go tying it in with the game there (laughs) Um, what would you do with another shot at your life? Uh, and what, one of the things that's really learned really early on is that whatever she changes, like any karma she sort of pushes off of her, any actions that she doesn't do, there are consequences. So like if she buys really good stock because she knows it's going to succeed, someone else is going to sell that stock because they are like you can't have that energy just like multiplied, right? Something has to happen. Or if she avoids getting a burn because she knows that how it's going to happen, someone else is going to get that burn. So it plays with the like, okay, well now what do you do when you're living your second chance at life? You know how to like, you know, pro strat <laughs> your life, but you know that like changing fate is going to have consequences. Who are you going to push things on? All of that oh. stuff. It's <sighs> so good. It's like if you if you just want like drama mm. and of course a little little good romance. Um mm-hmm. it's a it's a K drama. It's it's great. I will say uh Amazon is the one that converted it from webtoon to drama. So you do need Amazon Prime. And I do have one little bit of beef because I feel like Amazon really didn't do justice in terms of the quality of the the outfits, the sets. The, like, you know, I feel like Amazon could have done a little bit better there. I think they could have gotten a bit more budget because there's some areas that feel just a little bit 
I don't know, like cheaper to me <laughs> compared to some of the higher, like more budget budgeted shows. But oh, I'm it's loving a TV it. show, TV show now. Yeah, it's like live K drama, live. Yeah. Oh snap! I'm gonna watch the heck you out of should. this. You <laughs> should. You should. It's so good, and it's currently happening. Like, um, as of right now, they're on episode eight, um, mm. and I believe it's a 16 episode run. So, you get two episodes a week. They come out on uh, Monday and Tuesday. Oh. <laughs> So. I could use I could use some drama. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, it's very very good. So yeah, that's really what I've been focusing on. Just very watch, catching cool. up to K drama, escaping life a little bit. <laughs> Feels reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then just to finish out the pastry case, one notable release this week. Uh, this is a DLC. You do need the base game, but Eastward is coming out with their Oct. Octopia DLC. Um, this is really cool because this is a farming, like cozy sim farming DLC uh, that is added on to a base game that's originally like kind of a more of a Zelda action RPG style game. Um, and from the Steam description, it seems like this takes place in an alternate timeline so it doesn't mm -hmm. impact necessarily the events of like the base game um this is a reimagined timeline situation hmm. um but again you do need the base game to play i don't know if you need to have finished the base game to play so mm. that's something i'll i'll figure it out because i will definitely be getting this um but yeah so that's going to be really cool and i'm excited uh very cool yeah that sounds like fun i you know i hate that question of like okay if i get the dlc can i actually play it or do i have to be at a certain point mm -hmm. uh, uh. yeah i'm hoping i'm hoping that because again I, th I think it's on the steam page they mentioned it's an alternate sort of timeline i'm hoping that just in the start page you can just like go to the mm. dlc and just play it from there um but yeah we'll 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 see we'll find out yeah all right so as always any questions comments feel free to send an email um to jenny at geeksandgrounds.com or leave a voicemail at i should have had the i didn't copy and paste the link so let me awkwardly get to the other page and see if i did that there uh you can also leave us a voicemail at say hi dot chat slash geeks and grounds if you would like um or just hop into the community and discord and chat with folks there about what you're listening today Jeez. so we thought we had one shot well we did well we did but and then but then there was a whole nother shot yes solstice shot <laughs> twice shot yes two time shot one shot two shot three shot four um where where to begin okay so i guess one of my big questions in hopping into solstice which is essentially the new game plus for one shot um i'm just curious by the time you had finished the original one shot game did you feel like you want wanted more? Um, you know, I, I was reflecting on this because I think we we talked a bit about this last time that like mm -hmm. I I would have been inherently unsatisfied if it would have just ended again. Like I did I did not send I sent Nico home. I did not have him like fix the world. Mm -hmm. Um but that I also think 
it would have been such a rich conversation to have been there at the time when this game first dropped and like, oh, it's only one shot and you can't do it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like I, I think that there was like a, an intrinsic value as well in like the fact that it was a true one shot. Mm-hmm. But I gotta say, um, very practically, you're a person who's like really good at like replaying games, and I am not. Like with mm-hmm. very few exceptions, I do not go back to games again. And uh, so I think when I first learned that I was gonna have to replay the game in order to see the the next the other ending. Um, it immediately like triggered that sense of like putting me off like Mm. oh god I really got to play this whole thing again just to see what happens and as I was reading more before I started like doing the the two shot through um, I was like oh no it's like fundamentally changing aspects of the second playthrough it's not just a straight like you know repeat of you know assembling your acid plus your cloth plus your mm-hmm. bottle to wipe the rust off of the robot right yeah and i think for me it was like once i learned that it completely removed that uh gut sense barrier of like i hate replaying games and mm-hmm. don't make me do this and instead it was like i gotta know i gotta get there so like i don't know i think like however they got here the fact they are here now i think was brilliant and the the fact they made the second playthrough so fundamentally different i think Mm -hmm. was it made me like eager to jump back in yeah well and that's what's really interesting is that um solstice from what i was reading just online solstice wasn't really planned until after uh the game actually ended up being sort of planned for steam because originally this Mm -hmm. game was not on steam um and Solstice originally was meant to be a spin-off game that uh at least according to the fandom wiki potentially was going to explore more of the lore of the world itself like talking more about the author and sort of the author's journey. And so mm-hmm. what was really interesting is that this game or this DLC, I guess, this new game plus was originally not even supposed to be a thing uh but somehow turned into it so i think that's kind of an interesting story as well where i'm curious um if we ever do get a chance to talk with the devs like kind of how did they get into once they started making the game into this conclusion of it's not going to be about the author we're still going to make this about you and nico and uh essentially the world and the world machine um because you three are kind of the main characters of this i would say yeah, I love that. And I cannot wait to talk more about the world machine today. Yeah, like, yeah. That, like, for, for, without like getting into the actual like experience that we're going to be walk, kind of walking through today, the, dis, the, the slow unveiling that you get through this, through the two shot is masterfully done. Like the way they slowly reveal critical parts of this world of the antagonists and protagonists and side characters or whatever, it was just so clever. And mm-hmm. I was, I was enthralled. So yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm eager for us to start working through and, and talking through yeah. some of that, those reveals. Absolutely. So I think just to structure today, well, because I think a lot of the interesting, like the meat of the conversation is going to come after we sort of Mm -hmm. outline what happened. I think we're going to go through just kind of the outline of Solstice just to remind ourselves and and listeners like what did happen just at its most fundamental. And then we'll get into sort of the meat of like 
what it got us thinking about because there there is a lot more there i think holy moly yeah (laughs) so much more there (laughs) so when you start solstice it's fascinating because you're on the title screen you start the game again um there's a flash and i don't know if you noticed it but it's basically like you see the world machine for like the splittest of seconds before Nico opens their eyes and uh, <laughs> wakes up for the second time. And that for me as someone who like, I, I don't think I noticed it the first time I played one shot. Cause I was just kind of like going through, I was like, Oh, what's going to mm-hmm, happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, noticing it this time made my heart just go a little bit of flutter because I was like, Oh, this was it. like, what a great way to start it. And for those who pay attention, know like, aha, there is something up here. So good. Could you tell what it was like when the flash happened? Could you see what was like going on? Yes, but also like I, I, it's hard because I, this is, since this is my second time playing it, I don't know how much of it was me like anticipating it because I kind of knew Mm. what to look for versus if I didn't know what I have seen it and like understood what was going on. Well, let me give you my uh, baby Joel eyes. I could not tell. It happened so fast that I was like, Something happened there, but I couldn't tell at all what it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, it's, man, you, your replay factor is so valuable. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's good to have like both perspectives, right? Um, and what's incredible is that Nico remembers your name. And I think that's the thing that for me also got my heart a flutter because that was a huge element of Nico not knowing you in the first playthrough and the fact that Nico recognizes your name and calls out for you specifically. Um, that's when you know things are different this time. I'm going to be honest, as we get into this, I felt a little bit gaslit at times during this Ooh. open, this like uh, Barrens section. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So what happens? Like, so you wake up, you're back in the Barrens after you've yep. kind of deleted your save file and you're, you open your eyes uh, like what's what's the what's the flow like you're obviously not going to do the exact same thing again so like what is the experience yeah well i think initially you kind of do the exact same thing which is why it's like oh maybe some of this isn't as big as i thought it was going to be um mm-hmm. you have to find the remote <laughs> you, mm-hmm. fortunately you know what to do this time around because you just play the original um mm-hmm. you you escape the you know grab the sun you escape the room uh now what i did because i was like this is my second playthrough so i'm gonna like do things a little differently is i actually went north first where previously i went south um i went north and i noticed that the robot uh was glitched out which is different than the first playthrough when you can see the robot and it just is like out of power and so that for me was another moment of oh this world is more corrupted than it was before Something is happening now that we're back. Uh, And so they're signaling to you immediately that you cannot solve the same puzzles the same way. Yes. That's genius. Yeah. If you happen to walk up. Because I I imagine if you had gone south to see ProfitBot, I'm curious, what was your experience then? I I went south and I did not not even encounter Robot uh, in this uh, second round because I was like, mainlining and speed running to get to to profit bot and get to the caves oh um, interesting yeah wow so this is like the you mentioned the glitches and i think it's like a really important point because mm-hmm. 
the the glitches are almost the bad guy in this whole second playthrough. Like the glitches are constantly going to be impeding your way forward. Mm-hmm. You think you have a plan, you think you know what to do, and all of a sudden the glitches come. Yep. Um. So I, it's so cool that they introduced it right there, and I I wish I would have seen it because that would have like foreshadowed a lot of that conflict. Yeah. I I it honestly sent like a little bit of a you know it gave me goosebumps a little Mm. bit sent a little shiver down my spine simply because uh i hadn't that was different than the first time i played like last year a year or two ago uh and so i hadn't seen that detail before and it, it did give me a bit of pause um but you go to talk to profit bot Things kind of turn out the same until you go to silver, if I recall correctly. And mm-hmm. that's when and, and you start to explore uh, the mine, which in your first playthrough, I think you find one battery, empty battery in there or something. It's, it, but it's not really consequential other than being a place to store items. Mm-hmm. The second time you go into the mine, though, there's a little bit more information and a little bit more of a crucial role that it plays. Uh, I guess, did you want to hop into like describing? Yeah, it, what happened this there? is like they because you are now familiar with this like mechanic of leveraging the like notes that you find outside of the game uh, to make things happen inside of the game. Uh, you meet uh, you meet Silver, you're in the mine and like you find you find like a little note on the ground. And if you open it and put it in the right place on your screen, uh, the whole screen changes. And now all of a sudden there's a, a cart that appears I'm gonna be honest, mechanically, this was a little clunky for me. It like Yes. Like I knew what I was supposed to do, but I didn't realize I had to like have the note in the right exact part of the screen to make it happen. And like so I that was a little bit of there's a little bit of friction for me there. Um mm-hmm. but w- as soon as you get into the cart, it's like, okay, you are now very much on a different path. And so you start like going down the 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 cart shaft. I think Silver's kind of walking along beside you and you're learning more about the world uh, and, and her experience while you're making your way down these tracks uh, until you kind of find your way to like what looks like almost like a server room. I don't know what you would describe it as. Yeah, it, it does look like a server room. And I can't remember if I don't think any of the glitching follows you at this point or does it? I can't quite remember. Um mm. I don't think it does because okay, it you, you it's this. the next seg- the next You're sequence. right because yeah. yeah once you you once you go into this server room um I think silver is kind of like what's going on here I've never seen this part of the mm-hmm. world before yeah. um and I think I, f- I found that really interesting because I'm like, you are kind of the guardians of this area. You're the guardian of this area. It never occurred to you to like go further into the mines, you know, but, mm. but, you know, maybe, maybe that's just part of like programming or something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as you explore the server room, you meet your first new character, the predecessor to a uh, profit bot prototype. Now, this character is super, super interesting because Prototype uh, is basically the first creation by the author uh, in an attempt to make ProfitBot. And Prototype never got to like receive the Messiah, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so this is like the first time that they're actually talking to Nico, the first time they're doing kind of what their role even entailed. Um, 
and they said you want a puzzle quest uh, because what was it? There's like some bit of information that you needed to unlock. To, like, their get... memory is their behind memory, the puzzle. Yes, and so you like kind of get their hard drive or something like that so mm-hmm. that they can actually remember their prophecies. <laughs> yes. I have to admit, I could have used the fast travel maybe a bit more efficiently, but having to go from like the mines back to the dorms try and I didn't have my notebook with me so I didn't have any way to like write down which dorm was like what icon because you're supposed to be like okay well here's the dorm that's or here's the building that's the dorm here's the hospital here's this other thing the I had to go back and forth a couple times because I had nothing to like record my responses and I kept getting it wrong and misremembering the locations and so that part for me was just like Why did I, I not just use the walkthrough guide? I'm gonna be honest. I didn't even try to solve <laughs> that puzzle. So because I was like, I gotta. Get, I was I was on a plane. I was like, I gotta get through this thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I will say, for me, the friction came with the puzzle. This puzzle in particular, because it was just like, oh my gosh, because you have to go on the minecart, go all the way back. I honestly should have just used the technology at my disposal and just looked at the guide. Uh, that would have saved me a little bit of grief. But yeah, you you unlock Prophet Bot's memory. Um, and speaking of memory, I'm trying to remember and look at my screenshots and see what we learn there specifically. Um, doo, 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 doo. And if you also remember, I'm scrolling through all of my Rue conversation right now. Um, and that's hmm. quite huge. I think the biggest thing from Prophet Bot I remember. Oh, yes. Okay. So here's where ProfitBot gets interesting because ProfitBot is the one that immediately alerts Nico to the thing that we had the conversation in the elevator. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nico learns that everything is fictional. Everything is generated and fake. Mm-hmm. And this part is where I got emotionally invested again because Nico basically asks uh, you know, like, aren't you supposed to be a kind God, Kimchika? Because every time we open up this program, Nico is r- trapped, unable to leave. Um, and they explicitly say that you brought Nico here. Yes. And I was just like, why are you putting this on me? <laughs> this is all. where I felt gaslit. I was like, what the fuck? Don't you tell Nico? Like, I didn't know when I, I turned this know. game on, I was bringing Nico here. Are you kidding me? I know. I was like, if I knew I wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I guess, well, saying that now I'm like, I played the game again. So did I just do what the game? That's a whole different conversation. Um. <laughs> but like, do you remember we talked about this? I think it was in the very first week uh-huh. where we recognized that we were playing a game and we were like, it's kind of weird that the game isn't recognizing that it's a game. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, this antagonist obviously knows that it's in a game system. It knows who mm-hmm. you are. It knows you are a video game player. And yet it's referring to you as a god. And like, what is going on there? And that is like explicitly addressed in this moment too. Because mm-hmm. Prophet Bot explains, not in this like metaphorical Joel's a god thing. But in this like, no, 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 you are in a simulation right now. Yes. And Joel is a player in of that simulation and is like moving things around to try and work through it. And I was like, thank you. Thank you, Prophet Bot. I appreciate the detailed <laughs> explanation to Nico here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think what is 
for me, what was really interesting um, was, yeah, the clarification that, um, uh, sorry, not pro- uh, prototype gave was the the flaw of the game is that it cannot be run independently. It needs mm-hmm. us and mm-hmm. it needs Nico. Mm-hmm. Um, Nico being trapped there is a function of needing something real in the game to run it. And Nico needs us to help manipulate. So um, what I thought was also interesting is it does it doesn't need just us. It also requires Nico to be the person or the cat human there in our and- place. In addition to that, mm-hmm. during one of the moments where the the computer starts talking to you, it apologizes to Nico for Nico being here and is like frustrated that you, Joel, have made Nico sad. Right. Well, going back to what is it, Asmov's rules of exactly. robots and robothood mm-hmm. and all of that, um, because as Nico is the only quote unquote real thing in this simulation, the code of the entity or the world machine is designed to protect Nico at this point. And the world machine doesn't want Nico there. The world machine knows that there are these corruptions that could hurt Nico. And so, yeah, you or us as the player are kind of at fault for coming back in and bringing Nico. And it was like, uh, yes, exactly. And then it was like, because it's apologizing to Nico for him being here, I was like, wait, this isn't, these aren't the words of a bad guy. Like, what is happening here? And so we're back to this, like, the difference between an antagonist and a villain. Mm-hmm. And I think in the first one shot run through this computer system that you're talking to feels very much like a villain. And this is like it breaking. And you're like, oh no, it's more of an antagonist than a villain. Like there's friction mm-hmm. being caused here because of this thing, but it doesn't have malicious intent. It's trying to do the right thing. What's right. going on here? Yeah, which it, it becomes infinitely more interesting in my in my opinion. And I think to answer maybe one of the, the, the earlier question that I asked, like, did you feel like you needed solstice did you feel Mm -hmm. like you needed it Mm -hmm. um as a player when i finished the original one shot i honestly even though i was super emotionally impacted and devastated Mm -hmm. because i was Mm -hmm. like oh my choices i only had one shot um i was actually quite happy with if that was the ending this is the point in which i realized i actually am finding this way more interesting and i hope that this continues because if this works out the way I think it may, I much would rather have a solstice ending personally. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where I started feeling like, okay, this is going to be worth investing that time and energy in, which is also interesting considering the concept of taming, <laughs> like mm-hmm. what you consider worthwhile spending your time and energy and all of that. Yeah. yeah and like, I think uh, to our listening audience, like hang on to Jenny's comments about how the system sees Nico and kind of Nico alone mm-hmm. as a real person, because I think that's going to come up uh, kind of consistently mm-hmm. as we get to like kind of the climax and following action of the game. Oh, yes. Uh, so we have this conversation with Prototype. So much knowledge is just being dropped and you're trying to process it. Uh, and you realize, okay, you, Prophet Bot and Silver, need to escape the Barrens. You need to move on to the Glen. You start your journey and unfortunately the glitches, the squares have caught up to you. Um, and they are chasing you through the mineshaft 
And the only way that Nico is able to safely escape is Silver and Prototype essentially holding those glitches at bay um, mm-hmm. and holding the mine shaft sort of open, I guess, or f- from caving in um, so that Nico can leave through this backdoor shortcut to the yeah. Glen. And Prophet Bot has you take his hard drive out so yes. that you can add him to another robot body later. So, yes, very um, good <laughs> prep prep from Prophet Bot there. It's almost like he knew. I almost know. Like he knew. Whoa. Uh, so we make our way through the mines this time. And so instead of crossing the water to get to the Glen, we're going through the mines. Mm-hmm. You come out in the Glen uh, through it in a different area. Yep. And it is very different than your first time through. Um, I like this was probably the most, even in the, in, in the one shot, it was still like probably had the most like organic material. Like there were vines and trees, even if they were dead mm-hmm. goats, uh, etc. Um, but when you get to there this time, it's like the vines are kind of overrun, uh, this area. Um, a lot of the bridges have collapsed and in fact, you have to leverage and somehow get these vines uh, to to change in order to navigate the world at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very different than the first time. Yes. And uh, what's really what's really interesting is, you know, the island, the vines are there and you discover, um, I think in your conversation with Maze, because you can go mm-hmm. back and see Maze, yeah. um, this is due to an effort to hold everything together because everything is starting to come apart on um, these islands. And so this is, this is May's doing uh, her best to make sure that, you know, everyone sort of above ground on the Island is able to still be safe, walk around and keep a semblance of whatever normality that they can. Mm-hmm. And I think she had a really interesting line about how um, you, you offer her the sun uh, in your dialogue mm-hmm. with her. And she has an interesting line around how like, the sun brings her comfort, but in this moment, she doesn't need, she like, she doesn't need comfort. She needs to like endure the pain in order to like hold this world together or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Yeah. I didn't get that exactly right, but that's the, the gist. And yes. it was just like, uh, the, this self-sacrifice element of the game really came through in this moment. And again, that becomes a, a consistent theme throughout two shot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think other than that, you, you meet, um, I wrote down their names, Alula and Calamus again. Uh, mm-hmm. and essentially I think just your, your time in the glens is really short. Um, essentially you, you see them, you gather them in a boat, you do another one of the clover journal puzzles to, to mm-hmm. make the boat populate and you are trying to get to the refuge. Um, and so you take this boat that's ostensibly going to take you to a different part of the glen, um, and maybe hopefully get you closer to where you need to be. Uh, and in this, I think what's really interesting is you go to Alula and Calamus's mom's grave, um, mm. which again, kind of, I think it's interesting that in this part of the game, you are visiting areas that were like outside of the bounds of the original. Um, and this was where it felt the most clear, like this happens in the mine shaft, but I think this idea of the programming for Alula and Calamus originally probably didn't include the grave. Like maybe it included the mm. concept of our mother's grave is in the Glen, but did they ever get the chance to actually go? 
I don't know. And so Interesting. as I was playing this, I was thinking like, is this maybe one of the first times they've actually gone because now the programming is like everything's shifting and everything's moved. Uh, so that was just interesting for me. And you meet a very, very impactful <laughs> character named That's one of the coolest dudes in the game. Yeah, Cedric is so cool. Um, and he has this amazing like plane because apparently planes are definitely a thing here and but the plane is is grounded not able to fly uh yeah. so you you do fun little side quest um have to get some gears have to get a working battery uh i will highlight getting the battery and the idea of self-sacrifice again becomes a just another recurring thematic moment because when you go into the glen and their only battery that's available is in the structure that's powering mm -hmm. all of the robots mm -hmm. the robots say take the take battery mm -hmm. <laughs> so um yeah I, it's just another thing that comes up again so it's really interesting this like robot sacrifice element because the we have learned that the game only sees nico as a person mm -hmm. which means it sees everyone else as a program mm -hmm. which means these little robots that we're meeting throughout the world are programming so when they're sacrificing themselves it is them as programs sacrificing themselves to themselves a program does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yes. Which is, you know, I, I, I'll like bring this back to like some religious elements here, which is mm -hmm. like this, the whole like Jesus sacrifice thing. Like one of the interesting criticisms like uh, of that uh, storytelling is like it's God sacrificing himself to himself. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like a real, another kind of interesting possible parallel here. Yeah. Um, and it's like the more I think about it, the more it kind of like, cooks my noodle if you will like i'm just like wait what what does that mean what are the implications of this that like we're running into programs that are sacrificing themselves so that we and nico can continue willingly like is that baked into their programming like do they have the will to not sacrifice themselves is this a, a choice that they're making well it's interesting because I, I kind of just assumed that they didn't because also these are robots that haven't been tamed for like, again, going back to this idea of like, there are some robots that have been tamed who have mm -hmm. this ability to make decisions, to learn, to do something different um, than their original intent. And then you have mm -hmm. these robots where uh, specifically these research robots were only meant, as far as I understood, to do this research on the phosphor. Right. So I just kind of played assuming and just being like, I guess that their programming is to do research and also to not harm anything like real essentially because i would imagine it's embedded in the code of every robot in this world and mm -hmm. thus nico as a real person asking for this sacrifice of them they wouldn't have any choice in, in my head that's what i was thinking no i agree i think it's just like I, it makes sense that they don't have a choice and it's like it they are programmed to die as a sacrifice for themselves like mm -hmm. for the eventual health of the whole system and everyone in it mm -hmm. it's just an interesting yeah it's an interesting concept when you take that the free will element away like what does a sacrifice mean mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't know it was just like really fascinating i am you start seeing like oh this is going to be a trend 
that I, as the player, I'm going to have to keep watching characters die <laughs> and sacrifice themselves yes. through the second shot. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, and what's interesting is this, uh, it's not a sacrifice, but it becomes a trend also of characters getting put into harm's way as a result mm-hmm. of trying to get Nico to their end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, as we fly, you know, we've gathered the supplies, we fly over to the refuge. Um, we see that happen with Cedric, I believe, um, Mm -hmm. where Cedric drops Nico off, but then as Cedric goes back to get uh, Alula and Calamus, um, the the glitches take Cedric. Mm -hmm. And so in association with Nico, it's like one step behind anything that Nico approaches, touches, interacts with, they are then taken. Um, the same happens with the lamplighter who originally we met, you know, who was stuck at the elevator and trying to get down uh, to the surface level of the refuge. We ride an alternate elevator with the lamplighter, mm-hmm. but then he also gets stuck, gets stuck. tells you to go one. Yep. Like, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> uh, to quote death of a salesman, life is a casting off and it, it was brutal. <laughs> all the moments that you yeah. had to cast off in this game. Yeah. I did not have as um, literary of a reference. I kept thinking of the meme, the Harry Potter meme, where it's like, he's going to sacrifice himself. <laughs> Ron, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Once I make my move. Oh, that's so You're free perfect. to check the king. Um, I'm sorry. I have to. That is probably the no, single most funny I don't know why what about it (laughs) that scene is just always hilarious to me Uh, yep it is and it's gotten even funnier over time oh speaking of funny did you catch the clock joke right before the elevator i if i did i don't remember it what is the way what's the clock there's like the there's a clock that's running like by the Mm -hmm. elevators and they're stuck at 11 o'clock like the 11th hour and i was like (gasps) yeah Hey, that's a good detail. Oh my gosh. Um, Eternally at the 11th hour in this game. Um, (laughs) So we're at the refuge. We are at the 11th hour. Everyone's hiding in the library, in the cafe. Um, We talked to, what was it? Basically the the doctor that invented silver. Um, And she even says like, hey, it's better for this world to die naturally. Maybe it's just like just let it go. Um, but we meet a pivotal character when we get to the refuge. And this was the character that I referenced where I was like, did you see the yeah. flash? Um, we meet Rue, this lovely little fox who's so adorable. And you, you correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you mentioned this, that you met Rue in the first playthrough. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was talking about with the flash, where it's like, when originally, when you play one shot, you're walking down the alleyway. If you choose to go up um, Mm -hmm. one of the alleys, you see Rue's silhouette as a flash, and then you see Rue running behind a tree, um, but you never get any other interaction with them in that playthrough. And like, it was one of those things where I was like, so bummed. I freaking love foxes. And so when I found out that I missed it, I was like, really bummed. And so... So what you're saying is that flash at the beginning of the game, that is a flash of Rue? No, not the beginning of the game. As you're walking down the alley, you actually get a flash of Rue's silhouette um, in the first, as you play one shot for the first time. 
I see. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. This game, the layers, the levels, it's incredible. So <laughs> um, and so you you team up with Rue, um, and eventually Rue asks you to go basically to this vantage point in the city, and this is where I think one of my favorite conversations happens mm-hmm. um, is between it's between Nico Rue looking out over the city. The sun is just at Nico's feet between them, um, and they talk about basically the nature of the world machine. They exactly. talk about taming, and this conversation goes places. Uh, I guess would you like to kick it off, sort of on some some of the things that you drew from it? Yeah, like so they very clearly articulate that the world machine itself mm-hmm. is the entity that you have been talking to this like yes. seemingly like antagonistic entity is the world machine mm-hmm. uh they explain that uh the machine uh is is running a simulation uh that the simulation was built because the world that the author lived in was kind of falling apart and so they build this simulation and the world machine is kind of like a caretaker of it, making sure it's all running correctly, except for three entities that are like real people uh, inside. Rue, Cedric, and... Prophet, or prototype. Prototype prophet bot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that they're like real people, but that the world machine, this entity, does not recognize them as real people. And mm-hmm. so as it has kind of been degrading, it explains that the the world machine is actually trying to like protect and keep the simulation running as best as it can, but that it's kind of being forced like from its own logic to like insert these glitches or whatever mm-hmm. as a way to like protect itself and protect the simulation. And Nico's presence as an objectively real person that it can't write off like it's Nico's very presence in this world is what is causing the the system to like glitch even worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I might have gotten some of those details wrong, but like those are kind of the broad strokes. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much. I would say that's like a really good summary of it. Yeah, I think this this idea of the code having been corrupted, um, the the world machine essentially finding that corruption, conflicting, and then thus creating the spiral of like sort of continuous conflict and then corruption, conflict and corruption until it's kind of just lost itself a little bit. Um, And I think what was the line? Um, Rue says, my creator says it's largely an involuntary process induced by stress and the desire to self-terminate, which I found really intense. Um, I think I missed that. Yeah. And I, I almost don't know even what to make of it because there's this like the idea of self-termination of a program like a program Mm -hmm. that is self I don't even know if self-aware is the right word but the program attempting to terminate itself is just a really that was a concept that I kind of sat with and I didn't know exactly what to make of it but it was it was an intense phrasing and I thought it was interesting that that was used um yeah oof well, especially because like it has been through its like self-sacrifice, it has been self-terminating and the glitches mm-hmm. are self-terminating. That, that's fascinating. I can't believe I missed that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but then the conversation turns towards taming. And this is where mm-hmm. we start, I think, to get a much more clear idea. Uh, and this is where the game does a really good job of illustrating 
exactly what taming is to this game and to this world. Whereas in the first one shot in the original one shot playthrough, you're kind of left to your own devices as to what it yeah. really means. And here we get, we get clarity on that. Um, Rue talks about how um, robots can be mass produced. They are taught to do singular jobs. Um, they are not meant to think freely because they're bound by their code. And, um, we learn that the process of taming is the process of developing a special bond of spending time and energy. Uh, and it allows this sort of unreal thing to then become real and valid as their own being as an individual because of your belief in them. Uh, and this is really, really important to remember before we move into like that last section. Um, it's this idea of believing in something, even if it doesn't believe in itself, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just thought this was a lovely conversation. I really, I enjoy this. I think this is one of my favorite parts of the game. Yes. Okay. So from what I took away, there mm -hmm. were kind of two factors for taming. One is the the entity whatever it is, mm -hmm. has to believe that it has like free will. And the second is that it has to have a bond uh, and that the bond is what like uh, reinforces that, that free will is, is truly there. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of my takeaway. And I felt like it was like right back to the Velveteen Rabbit. Was that kind of also where you were mentally as you were like reading through yes. this? Yes. Because I think, um, and, and that is exactly what I thought when I was reading this um, mm -hmm. and playing this through the first time with the first one shot or like the, what is it? Just OG one shot, one shot mm -hmm. proper. Uh, when I was playing it, I instantly thought of the Velveteen Rabbit because one of the components of the Velveteen Rabbit isn't just that the boy believes the rabbit is real and the rabbit's content with that. It is the rabbit then believes he himself is a real rabbit through this love, um, which I think is such a beautiful concept. It's wonderful. Uh, it's just kind of this like, is this sort of self-actualization that I think of when I think of just like relationships and, and love in general, like the ability to love someone despite maybe what they might not see in themselves and allow them to see that in themselves, I think is super powerful. And so that's what I started thinking about where how like this, this is a version of love that I really enjoy seeing explored in the game. I love that that's where your brain went because that is a much nicer <laughs> place not. than where my brain went. <laughs> um, really? So I threw a link into our notes that we will, we can share out, but mm -hmm. um once I got this more concrete definition of taming and what it is, my mind, my mind went back to like my philosophy minor. And I was really mm -hmm. thinking about Hegel's uh, Lord Bondsman dialectic. And uh, Ooh, okay, yeah. I, I will just read this to you and then we can kind of talk, talk through it. Um, so this comes from Phenomenology of Spirit, uh, which is like, it's like 1700s is an old ass <laughs> theory or belief yeah. or philosophy. Okay. <laughs> the passage describes in narrative form the development of self-consciousness as such in an encounter between what uh, are essentially two distinct self-conscious beings. So you have to have two beings for there to be self-consciousness. The essence of the dialectic mm -hmm is the movement or motion of recognizing in which these two self-conscious beings uh, have to recognize each, each other as being conscious in order for 
themselves to feel like they have consciousness. So in other words, like I have to see mm-hmm. you, Jenny, as being a self-conscious being in order for you to validate that I am indeed a conscious being. But what mm. he argues is that over time, there's this um, struggle to death, uh, struggle to the death in which the bondsman or the master uh, will enforce itself and its power, exert its power over the bondsman or like the slave in some translations. Uh, but by in, in so doing, by mm. exerting that power, I'm putting myself in a position of supremacy and therefore I can no longer get validation of myself and of my consciousness from you, this other being, uh, because I don't see mm-hmm. you as being an equivalent conscious entity. And so it is an ultimately this like mm. self-defeating cycle where if I don't if I don't recognize you as conscious, I lose my own consciousness. And it's like as I was re- as I was playing through, my brain like immediately shot to this point. Um, and especially when I thought about the implications with Rue and Prophet Bot and Cedric, where it's like, no, these are conscious beings, but because the world engine, world drive, world. The world, world machine, machine stopped world machine. seeing them as like equ- equal conscious mm-hmm. beings. Uh, mm-hmm. It started going down this self-destructive cycle of of self-termination. So, like, th- I know this is like so so nerdy, I but love like that. No, that's exactly <laughs> what we're here for. I think that's really incredible. And honestly, this is actually making me now think of a, a game that I very recently finished called In Stars and Time. Honestly, I keep talking about it. I swear I am going to figure out how to make it a G&G <laughs> game someday. It's a little bit long, but it is so dang good. And this conversation really, and Hegel really ties into that because there's a part of this In Stars mm-hmm. and Time game where... Um, I guess, very, very light, very, very light spoilers. I'm going to keep it as vague as possible while (laughs) coherent. Uh, Your character starts to see things as unreal, even though they're in a world that they previously kind of associated with reality. And as a result of not seeing these things as real, their behavior and the way they start to shift and essentially not just terminate sort of their relationships with these other characters but they start harming themselves essentially in a lot it it becomes this sort of again that spiral that we see the world machine go into as well as this character um so i think that's absolutely like that read of it is really fascinating to me and i'm so happy you brought it up um it's really funny because i'm like why should i not see it as like (laughs) beautiful moment because i think i think there is it's like both ends can be true which i think is what's really cool because it's like um what is it the the ceiling and the floor there's this like we did this when we were at um our old job the office job where we had like the personality test that we would take for like how to optimize your work personality and it's like i forget what this was called but it's like you not strengths finder, but it was another one where it's like you, it's like where you are, um, when you are Mm -hmm. your best self, this is how these Mm -hmm. traits manifest when you are at your worst. This is how they kind of are this corrupted version of you Um, (laughs) is how I always thought. I think it's just like, here's the ways you're not productive and you know, capitalism. But in my head, I think I see these two 
perspectives, like you taking it through this really like sort of darker philosophical turn and then me being like, but love reflected back to each other and how it can really be the the floor and the ceiling of what happens when you start to like perceive others and the ways mm. that you treat them and the ways you treat yourself. It's like, I really think it's cool. gotta be both. So yeah, thank for you. Sure. For sure. Cause like as Rue yeah. is describing it in this scene, I, I, I definitely, I, I wrote this down. I wrote Velveteen Rabbit like in that moment. Cause I, so I was like mm-hmm. definitely on the same page, but like the subsequent scene when you're like actually engaging with the world yeah. engine and it's saying like, it literally says, before I was self-aware and then like two sentences later it says I'm not tame and it's Mm -hmm. like wait how can you be self-aware and not tame and it's not until Nico says essentially no like you you are tame you do have free will that it recognizes (laughs) that it is conscious and so it's like for me it was like the Rue conversation was very much like the Velveteen story and then I didn't get I wasn't really struck Mm. by the Hegelian story until um, you have the conversation with the world engine like subsequent to this where you're like, yeah. oh, in the moment that Nico says, no, you are you are an independently thinking being that it recognizes mm-hmm, itself mm-hmm. as being conscious. So like, yeah. yeah, I think we're very much aligned. And I think like it's so cool that like yeah, it's, it kind of starts you up here and then it's like you see it play out in that kind of the pit of despair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, I think it's... it's it's that human experience, right? Because like some is is self confidence, for example. Like on some days, I feel so on top of the world, and I'm like, "Man, look at me kicking butt! I'm doing this stuff. I'm feeling great. I'm getting all these things done that I'm hoping to get done, and I'm like doing the things that I want to do." And then some days, you know, when you're just feeling like, "What the he- like? What is existence at this point?" And I do feel like it kind of goes. You go through that with the world machine and. Also with Mm -hmm. Nico in terms of how you start to perceive them and you see them perceiving themselves a little bit. Yeah. So let's dive into the world machine because at this point, you know, you talk with Rue, you have this beautiful moment on the rooftops of the refuge and you go into this door that has been counting down, which Mm -hmm. is so ominous. Um, And that door was in the original game before the solstice update came out i think it originally um when they had announced the solstice on steam they like had it counting down to the solstice again i think is what i remember from the wiki um but when you get into the world machine um, and you have this conversation what's interesting is the form that the world machine takes when conversing with nico because nico is looking at this screen and instead of an empty blank screen, which is kind of what I assumed originally, I was like, the entity has always been just like text in a blank screen. You actually see like a representation of Nico. And I went back and forth. Cause I was like, is this Nico reflected in the screen or is this Nico in the screen? Like, is this the entity in the screen taking Nico's form. And I went back and forth on this and I was like, am I overthinking this? I love the reflection angle. I had not even thought of that. I definitely went straight to it's taking Nico's form, um, which also kind Mm -hmm. of reinforced the like master slave dialectic thing for me. Um, But I love the Mm -hmm. idea that it's Nico seeing themselves like in the reflection of like a computer monitor. That's a really interesting take. I like Mm -hmm. that a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I don't, 
I wasn't sure what what to make of that exactly. Um, so I guess because you you've kicked us off already on um, the dialogue that happens with the world machine. Did you want to dig into or could you dig into it a little bit more in terms of um, like what do they talk about and sort of what are the emotional arcs that happen? Yeah, there? I, you know, I the details I didn't capture because I was like so like enthralled in that moment. But I think like this idea of yeah. watching it like explain itself and explain why it was taking these actions and how like it really was informed by this desire to protect and um it saw mm-hmm. itself as doing what the master the master sorry what the uh the author had asked it to do like it's just following its programming but that programming itself mm. um was self-destructive and it recognized that and i thought yeah. that was such a like it really made me feel bad for the world machine, <laughs> which I did not think was going to be yeah. possible after the one shot. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I don't know if there were some specific things that you thought like, Oh wait, like some like, like curious dialogue sticking points that you experienced. Um, You know, I looked back and I honestly did not screenshot any of this, which means I probably also was just like so Mm -hmm. in it that Mm -hmm. I just didn't even remember to like take notes at this point. Uh, I think what was really interesting to me um, was that in this conversation, Nico basically says that uh, they trust the world machine and that they trust even though the code is broken, that they can go outside. Again, something real putting their trust and energy and belief and love into mm-hmm. the thing that needs to be, or mm-hmm. that they are taming. Um, I think also what was interesting is that Nico brings us into it and says something along the lines of like, you know, your name, like Kim Chica believes in you as well. Why else would Kim Chica play this game again? Or why wouldn't, why, why else would Kim Chica enter the simulation again? Why would they keep coming back? Because, you know, this person also believes. Um, And I thought that was really cool, especially because in this section of the game in Solstice, you are much more of a outsider looking in than with the Mm -hmm. first game. I think what's interesting as we're now kind of at the end of Solstice and we're going to start broadening our conversation a little bit is with Solstice, pretty much the entire time, you don't really talk to Nico the entire time you are just observing things as they happen whereas in the first portion in one shot you are talking to nico you are much more of a guide to nico so it feels like almost this sense of even though you're controlling nico still so you kind of have that technical agency it's almost like your agency is given up Mm -hmm. a little bit for mm-hmm. Nico to take that role on, which I think is also really powerful considering the role that Nico had when you played one shot proper. That's a really good point. I had not really thought about that. Like the transference <laughs> of of agency or power in that in that world. Oh man, that mm. like puts me in this like weird cycle of like how I was like <laughs> feeding into the like Lord Bondsman situation where it's like well, I recognize yeah. that I'm a real person, but I don't recognize that these things are real people. This is just a game. And now it's like, but I was like very emotionally <laughs> invested in it. It felt very real to me. And now that you've like framed it like that, it's like, oh, God damn it. Like, <laughs> you're totally right. And I I fell into the trap. I, I fell in. 
<laughs> it's yeah, I don't know. I just um I felt like this this ending sort of gave me what mm-hmm. I needed and I know some of the critiques uh what's really cool is that in the Discord folks kind of have run the range in sort of saying how they have either appreciated or have critiqued mm-hmm. this Mm-hmm. Uh, addition to one shot from folks saying like, ah, I wish that sort of integrity of the one shot was kept. I feel like that would have made it feel more impactful at the end um, to folks who are saying, no, this sense of closure that this this ending gives provides this really nice bow um, for me to end my experience with. I'm a bit more in the camp of I really appreciated the like sort of happier ending, <laughs> the catharsis that I think for me, this ending provided, um, but I'm curious how how you felt by the time we got to the yeah. The end. So I okay. So I'm going to start by saying like this is 100. Obviously, this is 100% just Joel's opinion. I don't think there's any like right or wrong mm-hmm. thing about this. But like what I thought of was I really is kind of like what we started with in our conversation. Like I would have liked to have been there when it was a true one shot, just to have been part of that experience. Um, mm-hmm. But let me like make that a little bit more uh, substantial by saying I think if this was a true one shot and always stayed a one shot, it would have almost been a gimmick. And I think gimmicks don't have staying power as stories. Like it's an interesting Mm. Wikipedia entry someday. I think by allowing you to go back and play the solstice, it takes it from it's a cool game that was a bit thought provoking and had an interesting gimmick to a game that really allows you, if you're being like a critical experiential person um, to have an experience that is so unique in gaming and allows you to kind of plumb such interesting depths. Um, To me, that's really special. And something that will make me remember mm. this game for a very, very long time. And uh, maybe gives it a bit more cultural staying power uh, that I don't think a game that kind of had a gimmick, and I'm using that like very loosely, I don't mean that pejoratively, right. um, would have. So I think from a staying power perspective yeah. culturally, I think it's really important that it had the solstice. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm with you there. I think I hadn't really thought about this idea of the solstice providing that staying power. Um, but after hearing you phrase it and talk through it like that, I think you're 100% right. I think, <clears throat> again, it becomes, I think it's just interesting because of the way that I particularly enjoy playing. I really like to replay games that have this emotional resonance um and what's interesting is you always have this feeling of like oh you never get your first Mm. time playing a game again um and and granted you know after you do solstice you kind of have completed the arc and so you don't get the first time you play solstice again but i think what was really impactful and fascinating for me was this was the first time i replayed a game And upon my first replay, felt like I was playing it for the first time again. And I think that was something truly special simply because talking about and easing into our reflection question for the week, you know, that post-game sadness, post-game depression, however you want to call the sad feeling that you get when you finish something. um, 
I think solstice allowed me to, well, A, really feel excited by replaying something and realizing I don't have I don't have that feeling anymore because now it's is the first time again. But it also doubled mm. the sadness <laughs> at the end when we did finally come to the quote, you know, true ending of the game. And <clears throat> Nico is back in their room. The sun is shining mm-hmm. for the first time. So you see that the sun has been restored. The world machine was able to, you know, remember the original code. Um and that like door opens and you see Nico being like, I see the fields. I see my mom. Like, oh, that just absolutely wrecked me. And here was when the tears mm. just really just like they were going for me. Um, and I think it wasn't because compared to when I played one shot, I had tears because I felt so conflicted about the decision I had to make. And it was really nice to finish this game out, not feeling that conflict and just feeling so happy for this character that I invested all this time into. Um, And so for me, that catharsis and that like very, you know, that happy ending I thought was really well worth it. Um, And it felt very rewarding as a player. Like I felt like we and Nico had earned it. And it was so nice to just be like, I finally get you to go home to eat pancakes and see your mom again. Pancakes right now. Uh, I I, I love that Jenny. And I'm so glad that you were able to um, experience that emotion, even if it was like a sad emotion um or even if it was a cathartic emotion i suppose i i was saying to you before we hopped on today that for me i think i was in two um you know how they say like you can feel your emotions you can ignore your emotions or you can intellectualize your emotions um mm-hmm. i think it was on the intellectual side of that where i was just like so locked into like the implications of the game that i didn't feel it when I finished it. Um, mm. the, however, like when I finished the one shot experience, it was the exact opposite. I was way in my feelings. I mean, I had, it, I had doomed Nico to return to his home with the knowledge that he had quote, like let a world die. I had let an entire world die. And, uh, I felt it. I felt that emotion when I finished the one shot. But when I finished the two shot, I was just like so into the implications of the dialogue. And like, yeah, like you see like kind of the like, here's what the world looks like after like those little like flashes. And it's like, oh, that's that's Mm -hmm. fun. That's like kind of cool. But like I wasn't feeling it. And um, so, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I almost I almost regret it. Like I regret that I wasn't able to feel the experience um because i you know obviously that's that's what has the staying power ultimately for for anything yeah really interesting so you i guess just to clarify do you regret playing no no no. i regret over intellectualizing the ending and not feeling as much as i could have Um, oh interesting now I'm curious, and maybe this is just like a, nope, this is just where my head was at. Maybe it's that simple, but I'm curious if there was anything that could have been done to allow you to get into the feelings element of it versus like intellectualizing everything. 
And, it, and if you're uh, like, I no, don't know. I do know because the answer <laughs> okay. is if I weren't doing yeah. a podcast where I had to really think about a game and like what I was going to say <laughs> about it and take notes about it, then I probably would have been feeling it a little bit more. But I was like, it just, no, sorry. I think it's fine. Like that's the whole point of this particular podcast is that we get to have these kind of critical conversations. And, you know, maybe because we're having the conversation, other people can experience the emotion of the second of, of the two shot more so like. Um, I really hope, I really hope you listener, if you are playing the game or about to play the game, that you allow yourself to feel the two shot ending more so than just like really break it, break it down. Um, because Mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I think the staying power of it will be just that much more uh, impactful. Mm hmm. Just need to, you just need to come over and (laughs) hang out with me as we play because I just, Drop of a hat. I'll just cry. I just, I am all feelings when I'm playing these games. Um, I think that's reasonable. Sometimes maybe too much so. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes I should tone it down maybe. But um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm really happy um, that we got to play this as a community. I think the, the experience of enjoying a game Mm. with other people has also allowed me to feel a little bit less sort of sad when we do finish games because I know that I can, I'm like, I know we've got this, the podcast, Mm -hmm. so I know I can talk to Joel about it. I know in Discord, everyone's going to be chatting about how they experienced it and some of the things they took away with it. So it feels like it ebbs that that melancholy that I get when finishing a game like this. Whereas before, when I finish a game like this, I'm like... What do I do with all of these yeah. emotions right oh, now? Oh, that's real. What happens next? Um, yeah, I, I'm curious though, just to get into this question explicitly. Mm-hmm. This is the one that folks have been reflecting on this week. Uh, do you do you typically get post game sadnesses? And if you do, um, like how do you deal with it? Maybe what are some examples of games that have really mm-hmm. given you that that feeling? I'm actually going to tie this back to uh, one of our previous conversations about how we've changed as we play games as we've gotten older. Um, Ooh, because I think yeah. I think one of the things I, I talked about with that question was. Uh, the feeling of urgency to like blaze through games because I don't have very much time to game anymore. I actually think that's Mm -hmm. also kind of emotionally protective, like because I'm so focused on wrapping up and finishing a game so I can get onto the next one. Like I got to finish Baldur's Gate so that I can play Final Fantasy. It's like, I think in some ways that mindset uh prevents me from feeling some of those post-game sads as much as uh as much as i could Mm. that said uh there certainly have been games that like when i've gotten to the end it's like i'm gonna miss these characters i'm gonna miss this this cast and crew um and and honestly like i i think to um uh what was the uh space for the unbound was one of those experiences (sighs) Where like you finish the game and like we talked about this when we played it, but um, that final act of the game uh, was just like one emotional hit after another after another. And the feeling that I had afterwards was like I would have so much more empathy and understanding if I were to play through this again. And I I would love to like now that I know like what the big twists and turns were of that game, which I won't like spoil in case mm. you all want to go back, which you should because it's a great game. Um, mm-hmm. Now that I know what was like really going on, like beneath the covers, if you will, 
um, I would be able to connect with that game on a totally different level. And I think that there's, for me, it's, it's a lot more of those experiences where it's like, yeah, I get sad, but more because it's like almost like a missed opportunity that I wasn't able to engage as fully because I didn't know something until the very end of the game. And now that I know that thing, Mm. oh man, like I'd love to go back and like hang out with those characters again and like see things with that other perspective. Like To the Moon is another great example of that. Like as you understand now Mm -hmm. what was really going on there, it's like, oh man, like I could go back and like see these memories and these characters that like experience and lives and like really connect on a different level. Uh, but because, as we discussed earlier, I don't really replay games very often. Um, I'm kind of <laughs> denying myself that, <laughs> that experience. Uh, so, how about you? Like, how do you deal with it? Like, what what happened? Like, we know that you're you are a feeling person, Jenny, and that is a great thing. Yes, <laughs> you've talked many times about like the emotional experiences you have while you play. Um, I well, mm-hmm. maybe this is part of it. Like, do you? do you think that one of the reasons that you are so uh, quick to replay some specific games is to kind of fight off some of the post-game sads? Yeah. Interestingly enough, I will rarely immediately Mm -hmm. replay a game. Um, I think even though oftentimes when I finish a game that's had a really impactful, especially emotional arc, because generally um, I don't get the post-game sads when I'm playing like, I don't know, Splatoon (laughs) or Splatoon or Suica Mm -hmm. game or, you know, any number of titles that are much more like, I think, systems or mechanics based. Uh, It really only happens for me in those narrative games where you finish up a story and you sort of like close the virtual book, so to speak. Um, I almost... I almost appreciate being able to sit with some of that emotion sometimes because it means that (laughs) talking about like self-sacrifice and like inflicted, like sort of the pain Mm -hmm. that you are willing to accept. I think it's, it's one of those things that I almost take as a good sign, even though it, it makes me sad. It's this bittersweetness because I am happy because it means I've experienced something that's really impacted me and something that I want to, carry with me in some form for longer than just the moments I am in it. Um, And so oftentimes I will not immediately replay a title uh, just so that I can like absorb everything or absorb that initial playthrough. But I will, I do often have schedule kind of these annual replays of certain titles that I love. I've, I've talked about Undertale mm-hmm. in particular. Um, Final Fantasy VII is another one where I will replay those games on sort of this periodic basis where I know it won't get like tired for me, but it allows me to reappreciate and like revisit these themes and worlds that I love so much. Um, I feel like this list is getting longer though, because now with Again, I keep mentioning in stars and time. We're going to be playing it next year, probably <laughs> because I'm going to be replaying it next year for fun, and I want to drag you all into the the loops with me. Um, like that's another game where I think I'm going to add it to my replay list because there is, I think, to your point, so much to discover when you do know some of the arcs that are coming, and you can prep yourself to really appreciate them in a way that you couldn't when it was a surprise. And I think both ways of experiencing it are are wonderful um but yeah the sadness is for me really comes from knowing that it is the only time that you can experience your first time uh i think that is where the core of like that 
sadness comes from is like this is the last first time that I will have with this game um and I think as is generally caused me to savor the games oh, that I play good. more it's funny that you talk about like beating games mm-hmm. more quickly um I've I found myself turning sort of the opposite direction especially in the last two years partially because of this hey. club <laughs> but I think also I have found myself realizing this idea of savoring games um, really helps me just appreciate them more fully and feel like I don't get mm-hmm. as sad or at least like, yeah, as sad when I'm done playing them because I really do feel like I've gotten the most I can out of them upon this first playthrough. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. I might feel this way about Baldur's Gate when it's all said and done. This like six month. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I'm really curious to see what happens after Baldur's Gate because this is the game you have spent the most time on. I think it, by like, far. it was probably uh, Elden Ring before this and Breath of the Wild before that. And this is uh, certainly surpassed and taken taken the cake. One last like question, though. Yeah. Did you get the sads when you finished books? Yes. Although I feel like it's not usually to the mm. degree that games will make me feel like I get I get post book sadness for sure. Um, but usually it, it it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss I'm going to miss reading that series. I'm going to miss this world. I don't know what to read next. And that's that's yeah. kind of the mm-hmm. the extent of it. I think with games, just due to the immersion that games allows um, games allow for, uh, I I feel it almost to a deeper level. And I think this is this is sort of just maybe sure. my personality because I feel like this sense of like the sort of more like empath- empathic feelings that I have like in games I really don't like doing things that yeah. hurt the characters like talking about Undertale I really I will never do a thing that like hurts the characters in Undertale in one shot you know feeling like taking 15 minutes to decide what decision mm-hmm. to make <laughs> for mm-hmm. Nico at the end of the game. So I think also I tend to be a person that tend, like puts a lot more emotion into that kind of stuff. Um, maybe more than some other folks, but oh, that's, yeah, that's fascinating. I, I think there's only been two books that I can think of where I've had that. And um, the first is the broken earth trilogy uh, by Jemison. If anyone hasn't read mm. that, but like, that's one where I finished and I was like, I'll never read that for the first time again. And I was like, wow, what a ride. And the other yeah. is uh, the ocean at the end of the lane by Neil Gaiman. It's uh, I reread that after my pup passed this last year. Like it is just one of those books that like mm. I feel it. And I, I've probably read or reread that book six times since it came out. Like I just love it. So yeah uh thank you all for uh taking this emotional ride with us uh in in, and you know intellectual ride uh any kind of housekeeping notes jenny for us as we're uh moving on any any important announcements we want to make yeah very Ah. important announcement so uh if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter you should because if you did you would have already known uh our next game that we're jumping into but we're announcing it here on the podcast uh we are going to oh also if you want to subscribe to the newsletter you can go to geeksandgrounds.com to subscribe i should probably (laughs) yeah i should probably say where to go but after (laughs) 
shaming you. I'm so sorry for not subscribing. <laughs> um, let's provide mm, yeah, solutions, yeah. shall we? Uh, so we are going to be playing Thirsty <sighs> Suitors for the month of February. I figured, you know, it's a game all about uh, maybe not quite romance, but what can happen as a result of a lot of maybe not so great endings to relationships and what happens when you are forced to face maybe the poor decisions that you've made in romantic relationships oh, in the boy. past. Uh, Thirsty Suitors. <laughs> Thirsty Suitors is made by Outer Loop Games. Uh, they are a studio, I think, based in Canada. I'm not sure I should have looked this up. Um, but they have made games like Falcon Age, which is a great game about fighting col um, like mm. colonialism <laughs> in this wonderful fictional area where you get to like control a falcon. But Thirsty Suitors, um, really quickly just to read the Steam description for you. Thirsty Suitors is a surreal story-driven game which over which throws turn-based RPG mechanics, skating, and over-the-top cooking mechanics together in a spicy fusion. But this isn't a dating sim. It's a breakup oh. simulator. Battle your exes, disappoint your parents, and find oh, yourself. Oh boy. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be good so we are playing this game the playthrough guide uh is available uh we'll fill it in as we go with the timeline and the questions and everything that we discuss um but if you're wanting to get prepped for next week um pick up the game we'll officially start playing it on let's see because the month doesn't quite we'll officially start playing and talking about it on wednesday january 31st <laughs> so um that's going to be kind of like that kickoff i'm super Yeesh. excited uh so yeah i i hope we get to hear some uh some breakup stories as we get into this um <laughs> oh we're gonna yeah we're gonna have to talk about some awkward dating oh, moments i hope you boy. all get to share any awkward just relationship shenanigans um it doesn't have to even be dating if you're just like uh, i got some real awkward stories of just different like friendships maybe because relationships you know doesn't have to be romantic um but yeah i'm excited this is a game that also um really emphasizes like i believe it's uh i know it's south asian i'm trying to remember um which i think it's hmm. sri lankan i'm not entirely sure i'll have to look this up but it's really emphasizes south asian cultures so kind of like oh, with venba yeah. throwing back to that we're gonna experience like a really and actually Different space from the unbound yeah. as well we're gonna experience um a very specific like cultural perspective that i'm really excited about that we do not often get to see in oh, games so rad. i'm yeah. so excited to dig in uh well yeah. we hope you look to join us uh in thirsty suitors throughout the month of february uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us as we talked about one shot, two shot, uh, and <laughs> AKA, AKA solstice. solstice. <laughs> um, I guess I should probably use that name at least once today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we love having this community and having all of you engage with us. If you find yourselves dealing with the post game sads or even the post game bitters, just have six cups of coffee and get the post game jitters. Thanks. Bye. Oh, hey. <laughs> Don't consult your doctors. <laughs> or maybe actually, do no, do consult, consult your, your doctors, doctors when consuming <laughs> that much caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>